0: Hello and welcome to today's edition of the Business Excellence Podcast. My name is Rail Bricker coming to you from Perth, Western Australia. And with me as usual is my co-host, Lindsay Adams from Brisbane, Australia. Hello and welcome. And with us is our special guest, Joe Cursillo, who will be more formally introduced by Lindsay in a few minutes. A special gift to all our listeners. Pop along to www.excellencepodcast.com. That's excellencepodcast.com, and download your free forty-eight-page ebook called "Building Excellence: Ideas to Help You on Your Journey to Creating Excellence in Your Business and Your Life."
1: Joe, it is an absolute pleasure to have you here today.
2: Welcome. Oh, it's great to be here. Thank you, gentlemen. I'm glad I'm here with you.
1: So uh, for our listeners, Joe is uh, an author, speaker, strategist. He's uh, In fact, he's written three books, uh, and um, he's got some great concepts. Um, The latest book, Getting to Us, uh, Joe, in that book, you talk about creating a unifying vision within your organization, your team, your your whatever. Talk to us about that. I I love this concept.
2: Sure. Thank you. Yeah, I... I believe that if you can create a vision that is large enough that everyone can find their purpose, feel like they belong in, and find their home, if you will, that vision for your company, your business, for whatever you're doing will pull people into it and it will drive towards your goal. If people can find their noble purpose in your goal, your goal becomes their goal. And that is the short version of what a unifying vision really is. Your
1: goal becomes their goal.
2: Yes. That's really interesting. Well, because if, if, let's say, and I'll use an example. Uh, My favorite example is to use is Apple. Apple, when Steve Jobs started it, he searched for people who were innovative in the tech industry, who wanted to see tech advance. And they bought into the entire Apple experience because they wanted to skyrocket to be the best that they could be in their particular field or their particular area of technology. And jobs gave them all a home. So they felt inclusive. The people were proud and they still are. Apple employees are proud to be Apple employees. And they love it because it's their. it becomes their life mission. It's what they want to do is see Apple succeed because they succeed.
0: So, so Joe, let me ask you then, the, the, perp, the, the, the vision, you say it needs to be large enough to find purpose. And I have a, I'm passionate about this area. I work in the mm-hmm. space of corporate culture. And I've interviewed almost 90 companies around the world and found this whole idea of, of, of vision and, and purpose and values and purpose, quite important. But do you think, you say the vision needs to be large enough. Does that mean it needs to be bigger than the organization? It needs to be not necessarily charitable or anything like that, but needs oh. to be something that unifies everyone in the organization.
2: Yes, exactly. It's got to be bigger than any one individual. It's got to be bigger than the company um another example is Amazon when Bezos first created Amazon he said he was looking for warehouses on the moon because he was trying to create something that was bigger than Earth could handle and that is what this vision has to be so people should not sell their vision short they should become uh make their vision become everything to them and make it so big that they can't fail It's when you have short-sighted visions that you fail.
0: Well, well, it has has the word vision, and and, and people always group vision and mission together, has that become a bit too systematized over the last few years with all these consultants to businesses Mm -hmm. narrowing this vision to a point where where I stand on stage and I make the joke and I say, I'll bet you I can tell you what all your, your vision and mission statements are. And people look at me strangely and I say to them, Well, I bet you it all says we're going to be the best fill-in-the-blank, in the the best fill-in-the-blank, using the best fill-in-the-blank. And and has it become too systematized? And the great companies are going beyond that.
2: Uh, I think, sadly, it has become very systematized. And the reason is so many people decided that they were going to become coaches and consultants. And that is what they learned, was to create systems to make it work and they started telling businesses this is a system no it's a dream dreams aren't bound by systems they're not bound by logic the question is how big can it possibly be you can't create a system for that as far as i'm concerned and i don't have a cookie cutter because well, that would be easy. I understand your cookie cutter idea. That would be great for people because it makes them feel like they did something. But the reality of it is, the minute you start creating a system, you are limiting yourself, and you're going to you're going to hit a wall.
1: Joe, I've been in many organizations, like Rail said, they've got their vision or mission's vision and mission statement up on the wall, you know, in the reception and whatever. And uh, I've even overheard a conversation once where I saw two employees walk by, look at this thing and laugh and look at each other and and kind of walk on as if (laughs) this is a joke. How do we actually get people to enroll in that vision? How do we get them on board? I mean, I I get the fact we create a unifying vision, but how do we get them
2: involved and want to be part of it? Well, you know, let let me say this, first of all, I believe a mission statement, a corporate mission statement, is very different than a unifying vision. A mission statement is something that addresses to the shareholders or to corporate America or to Wall Street or to the various investment banks, this is what we're doing. But a unifying vision addresses the employees, the teams, the vendors, the people you do business with. So to answer your question directly, I just had this question come up about three weeks ago. Somebody asked me, how do I get my people to enroll in the mission statement? And I asked him to read it to me. And we sat on Zoom. And when he finished reading it, he looked up and I was sleeping with my hand on my head. I opened my eyes and said, (laughs) you bored me to sleep. I think that's what you do to your employees. And he looked at me and said, It was really hard to read out loud. So the suggestion that I gave him is, and I may be involved in the process here, but I told him to go to his employees, ask them what they saw as the vision for the company and find out how they interpret it so that he can say to them, you're not thinking big enough, you're not broad enough, or you're too narrow and help them figure out what they want to do and make sure it's on the same page. Now, let me also say that there's a risk in that. The risk in that is your employees are going to say they're not on board with whatever you tell them the vision is. Um, And I always use the example of uh, um, Zappo. When Tony Say came out and said to everybody, this is the vision we have if you're not into it I'll buy you out let me know when you can go and he was willing to take that major risk because he didn't want his vision limited he wanted to know that everybody was on board with it so I engaged I would engage people and that's my you know my goal is to see everybody engaged so if you can get them engaged from the beginning to help develop the mission uh, that's pretty spectacular because then they can Im- share it with everybody because they're proud of it, just like you are
0: so, 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 so the question is is do does you know a lot of companies I've seen and interviewed the the C-suite have gone off to the mountains, smoked a few joints, had a few glasses of red wine, and come back on Monday morning with this the the, the epiphany you know, and this is where we're going and and surely surely you know that that's the traditional way of kind of setting a vision and a priority for the organization but surely you know the process of bringing people in in our today's world with information flow and and everybody wanting to feel a part of something um that, you
2: know there th- there must be a
0: better way you know to, to do all this
2: well there there is and I, that's why i believe you want to bring people in i'm laughing because the idea of the managers and the C suite people going into a retreat by nature that is exclusive. And it, to me, a unifying and a powerful vision is inclusive. Um, and I, I always tell my clients, the last thing you want me to do is team building and have a trust fall because my idea of a good trust fall exercise is push the CEO off the top of a 10 story building if his employees break his fall. Then we got a good CEO, (laughs) Um, you know, I mean, the employees have to love that person and you're not going to love them when you leave them out of things. I think, and I know some of the bigger companies have trouble with that, but it, I've seen it work and I think it's a powerful thing. So Joe, you, you talk about it being inclusive
1: and, uh, um, I'm just having some nightmare memories of uh, an organisation I was employed by once. We uh, we were taken away on a two-day retreat. Uh, the manager sought our opinion uh, and then at the end of the two-day retreat announced what they wanted us to do. They had listened and not taken into account anything we said uh, and then said, okay, boys and girls, this is the way it's going to be.
2: Uh, that is so, so 1980s. Well, that is so 1980s we are so past that today
1: <laughs> it doesn't work <laughs> so, so so how do we get around that i mean uh, you know w- uh, lip service i guess is what i'm talking about where right. where we
2: pretend we're listening um how do we get you know around that I, one of my clients is incredible and he will listen to everybody and anybody in the company Uh, he tends to wander through his facility at a regular basis and he came to me this is about two years ago and told me that he was having problems because his management team was not moving forward they weren't doing anything to change and i said to him i said well they're not adopting your unifying vision they're not adopting the vision that you have for the company and i said if they're not adopting it the way it should be adopted, they're going to ignore all of the ideas and all of the support people below them who are actually working on the floor. And if they're not listening to them, maybe they don't belong in your management team. Now, I always laugh about this particular client because he had hired me to do some work for him and I did some consulting. And then he hired someone cheaper and told them to give him a unifying vision And I just laughed because I actually saw him the other day and I said, how's that working out for you? And he said, it's not, we have to talk again, (laughs) you know, because people don't really think big. And I mean, I look at myself, I have been in the private sector, I've been in the public sector and, you know, I have waited in the mornings to be told what to do that day because nobody gave us the ability to actually think for ourselves and help make something better. And um, the reality of it is, if your management is not going to accept ideas or become innovative because they hear what people below them are saying, that doesn't work. Uh, In my book, Getting to Us, one of the people I talk about is Mary Barra. Mary Barra was the CEO of um, General Motors, and she took on a dying entity. But Mary Barra started on the floor of the factory as a factory worker. Moved her way up through the ranks and eventually became CEO. And she knew the company inside out and backwards. She knew what they do. Um, I'm a, as you know, I'm a guitar player, Martin Guitar. I mentioned them in my book because I know Chris Martin. They have people on the floor that have various areas of expertise. And Chris Martin understands what each and every one of them does And he knows how to praise them individually for their efforts, whether they're making the body of the guitar, the neck or doing inlay. He knows the difficulties they have. So he hears from them on how to improve the operations and how to improve the way the company works. And his team is clearly signed on to that. Um, and I watch these kinds of companies and it just fascinates me because that is what gives them longevity. The people want to be there and the people want to be a part of it.
0: So there's a, there's a famous story. And I just, that when um, John F. Kennedy visited NASA in 1962, which was a number of years before, obviously the first moon landings, um, he, he was walking over and there was a man walking with a broom, a janitor. And he said to him, hi, I'm John Kennedy. What are you doing? And he said, well, Mr. President, I'm helping put a man on the moon. And that, to me, is the Bingo. classic unifying vision that the janitor saw himself as part of that greater mission. So I was working with a, with a, a company here in Australia who came out with a, with a purpose statement, a statement of purpose, effectively, supposedly their unifying vision. And the statement went like this, back the bold who move Australia forward. Back the bold who move Australia forward. I and like it that. was a great idea. I mean, when you think about it, it sounds like it's a transport company. It's actually a bank, um, which. but when I asked them and I, I spoke to the staff, they could all state that word for word. When I read up on the chief executive, when they had come out with this, they said, they're not going out to tell the public for two years until they've got the staff to embody it. The interesting thing is that chief executive left after 18 months, so I don't think it it was that successful. But conceptually, is that the kind of 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 of, of largesse you're talking about, where they where they philosophically were saying we back Australian businesses in some roundabout
2: way? Yes. Uh, in fact, I'll I'll mention to you that I do write about John F. Kennedy and the lunar landing, because the speech that he gave when he Grabbed a hold of everyone's attention and said we were going to put someone on the moon, is he said, We choose to do these things not because they are easy, but because they are hard and they will marshal the best of our resources to make it happen. And that's my paraphrase, but basically, that guy sweeping on the floor, that guy knew he was one of the resources that would make it happen. Or as I always talk about, the minority women that were in a basement in a in Virginia who were doing the math by longhand to figure out how to calculate trajectories of spacecrafts, they're basically being segregated, they were being mistreated, but they're in the process and they knew they were important to it in the because they yep. believed in what they were doing. They knew that. One bad calculation on their part, and a spacecraft would have crashed. Joe, it so everybody seems to felt that power. Yeah, I'm sorry.
1: Yeah, It seems to me that the, the thing that underpins this is communication. Absolutely. So, so how often should our leaders, should leaders be talking to their people? Is there a formula for this?
2: Well, you know, I'm, I'm smiling because there is no formula but that leads into what I would say is my other book. What's your freaking point, which is a book that talks about communication skills. And I think that once you have your vision, you have to determine how much communication you need to have in order to make it work. If you start to ignore people and they don't feel like they are, uh, a part of whatever you're doing, things are going to fall apart. So you have to look at each situation and each role. For instance, let me just say, you know, if a CEO wants to communicate with his people, he can do it by a video, he can do it in a blog, he can do it by email, um, he can do a town hall meeting where people come together and listen to him. And he can express what his goals, his visions, uh, the importance of communication. But there's also a side of that where the balance comes because if people think the CEO is reaching out too much, they could think there's something to worry about or they could think that he is no longer empowering them and he's micromanaging them. So I think communication is incredibly important And it's something that really has to be handled well and perfectly. And let me just say, after we deal with an executive or a C-suite, this is where the unifying vision has to be clear. That CEO has to make sure his C-suite is on board and gets it because if that C-suite is not on board, when those executives speak to the people below them, they're gonna be delivering different messages based on their own understanding, and then the whole vision falls apart. So that structure, the belief, uh, in fact, it's funny, earlier today, I was having a discussion with someone, and I said one of the greatest factors in decision-making and communication is trust, and the core of trust is an emotional decision. If people start to feel anything is going wrong, you're going to lose their trust because their emotions are not going to override the logic and they will panic. And we did see a lot of that last year at this time. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah.
0: You mentioned town halls. I mean, one of the classics, you know, in 2020, 2021, and and in fact, from about 2017, has been Satya Nadella at Microsoft. Mm -hmm. Um who runs every month a town hall meeting for the entire 90,000 people of Microsoft. And obviously some of them are sleeping because it's the middle of the night, but they can pre, those who, who are going to watch the recorded version, pre-send in questions um, and and he answers them and he answers stuff live. So it's not, you know, people anywhere around the world from Microsoft can ask live questions. But what was interesting was I was talking to to some senior um, human resource and and culture people there, and they were saying something quite interesting, that the um, the uh, culture became the topic of every single uh, town hall. Like every single town hall, half of it was 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 uh, dedicated to talking about the culture of microsoft and how to how to uh embed that culture and what that culture meant and what and 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 bringing people along with that unifying vision
2: yeah absolutely
0: so they've done it really well and that's ninety thousand staff
2: well and and if you i just say you pick microsoft i've mentioned amazon i mentioned apple uh zappos whatever when you look at some of the biggest companies in the world, they frankly have mastered it because they understand the culture aspect of it. Um, you know, I laughed because I had a law firm that established themselves and decided they were going to adopt a Silicon Valley culture and have everything in an open space. So people can sit openly and work. And they did all this. And after they finished and I went through their offices, I looked at them and said, um, do your clients realize they're not going to have confidential communication with their lawyers? And they they realized, yeah, they didn't know what they were going to do. So they're going to create rooms that you could go into with the clients and meet with them. And I, I laughed and I said, wait a minute, you put the cart before the horse. You You stole a culture from someone else rather than Create a culture that works for you. And these major companies have grown cultures from seeds and they've allowed them to blossom. And I think that the question is, if people are committed to having a good culture and a unifying culture, one where people want to be there, they can grow that tree rather quickly. They just have to be open and ready to go, you know, figure out who your people are going to be to carry that ball.
1: Okay, Jay, final question. <clears throat> yeah. We've just been through a, a tumultuous year and a lot of people are working from home, so we've got teams which are spread all over the place now. How do we bring those people together uh, to to work toward a unifying, unifying vision when they don't even see each other on a regular basis, apart from online perhaps? Sure. How does that work?
2: Well, <clears throat> interestingly enough, my comment is that the people that had a unifying vision have made this pandemic and survive the pandemic rather well. Um, other people are trying to jump onto something to get their remote workers together. And what I have recommended to a couple companies, and I keep jokingly saying I should charge people for it, but I've mentioned it because I think it's a great idea. Create your Monday morning Zoom where everybody's getting together to see what everyone else is doing and have a check-in. Um, I've tried to do something where I talked to one company about what I called Gratitude Mondays. You know, having a couple employees get on Zoom with the CEO and tell everyone why they're grateful for working there, or how great it's been to be able to work remotely and still feel connected. Those positive mes- messages allow other people to catch on and say, wait a minute, I feel that way too. Maybe I am still connected. Um, I I call them, I I call them local heroes or site heroes, which is allowing people who are embracing the vision to become heroes so they can be the prophets to tell others how great it is. And those champions are the ones you want to have out there talking about their gratitude and appreciation. So everybody feels like, oh my God, we're part of this. Yeah, cool. Okay.
1: Joe, uh, our listeners may want to get in touch with you. They've become inspired by what you've said. They want to maybe get a copy of your book. Um, what's the best way for them to uh, perhaps get a copy of your book and and
2: and or get in touch with you? Sure. The easiest way is to go to joecurcillo.com, J-O-E-C-U-R-C-I-L-L-O.com. And if you can't spell my name, I just tell people, go to myspeakersite.com. Ooh. That is that's for those people that can't spell my name. Just go to myspeakersite.com. You'll see all my books there. It'll give you all the Amazon links and ways of getting in touch with me.
0: Thank you, Joe. Thank you very much for being our guest today. I have to finish with a quote on your own website, but I like the, the it's obviously a, a testimonial quote, but it said, Joe is the perfect combination of value, entertainment and engagement and, and that's gold. So I agree with that. Thank you for making the time to join us today um, on the Business Excellence Podcast.
2: Thank you for having me gentlemen.
0: And a reminder for our listeners to pop along to www.excellencepodcast.com to download a number of free resources to help you on your journey to excellence in both business and life. This is Rail Bricker and Lindsay Adams signing off for another edition of the Business Excellence Podcast.